Well, good morning, everyone. I'm John Schmidt. I'm a senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship. I want to welcome everybody who's worshiping with us at Pike Road and in Wetumpka and at Westside and everywhere else on the internet. We're glad you're along with us today. Uh, today, we're talking about a very important topic that I get requests on every year. I get numerous emails about what does the Bible say about our eternal destiny? In particular, what does the Bible say about hell? And so inside your bulletin today, you'll find an outline entitled, God does not want people to go to hell. Could we say that title together, please? God does not want people to go to hell. Um, but there is a hell, and it's real, and today we want to talk about it. This is one of the least popular doctrines in all of the Bible, uh, right behind or right next to uh, our morality when it comes to our sexuality and things. These are unpopular things to talk about. In our culture today, there are many people who, have, who no longer believe in hell. They don't believe that Jesus died on the cross to save us from the wrath of God. Um, they don't believe that at all. They believe there's a default position that when we die, the default position is everybody just goes to heaven. And the truth is, the Bible has something very different to say. So today, this is a sobering message, but it's also an encouraging message because it explains why we need Christ in our lives. It explains why it's so important to understand who Jesus is and to communicate to those we love who he is. And so today, um, with all the urgency I can muster and with all the compassion I can muster, I'd like to talk to you about what the Bible has to say about hell. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to be here today. Um, your word is our guide in all matters of faith and practice. And Lord, here at Centerpoint, we don't want to stray away or uh, shy away from anything your word teaches. And so, Lord, um, I realize that we live in a day, Lord, where many people no longer believe in hell. And, Lord, today we want to see what your word says. So, Lord, I pray that you'll speak, move me out of the way, and you'll convince us of the importance of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Uh, point one on your outline, hell is a place of eternal punishment for the devil and his demons. If you wonder why hell was ever created, that's why. Jesus said this in Matthew 25, 41. This is where he's talked about the sheep and the goats. He says, away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his demons. It's a place of eternal punishment for Satan and the fallen angels who joined him in the rebellion against God the Father. That's why hell was created. Now, if you ever wonder, when you see all the evil in our world, will the devil ever get his? Oh, yeah, he will. And if that's good news to you, would you say amen? amen. Well, here's the more sobering part. Uh, and when we think about what it will be like, uh, Jesus talks uh, about this at numerous places. Also, when John saw a glimpse of eternal, the eternal destiny of the devil, here's how he described it. Then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet, and there they would be tormented day and night forever and ever. A burning lake of sulfur and torment day and night. The devil, the Antichrist, the false prophet forever and ever, and all the angels who joined him. So I want you to understand that this is a horrible place, a place of punishment for the devil. He's not the prince of hell, he will be punished in hell. He is in rebellion against the Lord. And um, in the margin, if you could write Revelation 12.12, 12, 
just write that in the margin. You can look it up a little later. Basically, it says this, is that the devil knows his time is short, and so he is in a furious rage to reach as much, wreak as much havoc as he can. If you wonder why all of a sudden it seems like evil is exploding and why the Bible says at the end of the age, before Christ returns, evil go, gets exponentially worse, well, the devil can read. He knows his future. He knows what's been prophesied. He knows his time is short. And do not expect him to let up. He will not. If he is going to go to hell, he is going to take as many people with him as he can. He hates the Lord. And he hates God's people. And he will wreak as much havoc as he can. It's why Peter says, be on your guard against him. Beware of him. He's tricky. He's deceitful. And he's looking for souls to devour. And he's only going to step it up as the end draws near. And if you think, wow, this has really gotten pretty serious real fast here, well, there's more. And the reason that we need to talk about this, or the reason I'm talking about this, is I want us to really understand the gravity of what the Bible has to say about it. We make light of the subject of hell. It was the mid-60s before the word hell was ever used as a cuss word on television. And now it's common. Now we say it's hotter than hell if it's a warm day. Um, work was hell. Um, our teams are supposed to give the other team hell. Hell, yes. Hell, no. We say all these things, and if I was the devil, and I was going to wreak havoc on this and make sure that people didn't believe there was a hell, I would get them to incorporate it in every part of speech so that we no longer took it seriously. I mean, if, if we don't take it seriously, then people aren't afraid of the wrath of God. Well, I mean, there's that default. Everybody goes to heaven when they die. There is no hell. And we make light of it so much now that people make light of it. As we read through this today, I hope that this will erase our sensitivity back up again. I think we've all become very desensitized to this word because we really consider that hell is a place of eternal punishment for the devil and his angels. That's one thing. But the next point is this, point two, hell is a place of eternal punishment for those who do not know God and reject the good news. It's not just for the devil and his angels. It's for those who don't know God and for those who reject the good news. I mean, the seriousness of this went way up. Paul talks about this in 2 Thessalonians 1. The people in Thessalonica were suffering terribly for their faith. And they were going, is there ever going to be justice on this? And Paul wrote them and he said, yes. When the Lord Jesus appears from heaven, he'll come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. They'll be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. If you've ever wondered why evangelists and why uh, people go door to door knocking on doors and saying, hey, do you know Christ and are you, have you made your life right with Christ? This is why. There's an urgency to this. And again, because we've made light of this and we've said, well, you know, we just talk about it in common speech. We're not talking about, I mean, when you start talking about this, this is eternal damnation. That's why it's such a serious thing. We should never tell anyone to go to hell. That'd be the worst thing we could ever wish on anyone. And to say it just because we're angry that they cut us off in traffic. That's, that's a total misuse and misunderstanding of what hell is all about. 
Now, point A will explain why this is why this is. We're all born sinners deserving of God's wrath and without excuse. The Bible tells us this. Romans 5.12, Paul says, When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. And Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Everyone. We've inherited a sin nature. Romans 3, Paul talks about this as well. No one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And in Jeremiah 17, 9, Jeremiah said, The human heart is most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? At the bottom of that page where there's some white space, I'd invite you to draw two uh, little boxes like this. The Bible says that we are on one side and God is on the other, holy and righteous, and we are sinful. And to draw ourselves on here, you would need to draw a little stick figure about this big, that our sins have separated us from God. Everything that God does is righteous, but our hearts are naturally inclined toward rebellion. Many of you know the Christian apologist, a defender of the faith named Ravi Zacharias with a ministry based out of Atlanta. Um, he's a well-known uh, defender of the Christian faith, and not that long ago he was speaking at a conference and had questions at the end of the conference, and somebody asked him exactly about this. He said, well, yeah, they didn't agree with him that people were basically evil, that people would basically do the right thing. And how would, you know, and he just disagreed. He just said, people are basically good. And what would Ravi Zacharias, how would he counter that? And Ravi Zacharias walked up with the microphone. He goes, do you lock your doors at night? And the guy goes, yes. And he goes, I mean, if people are basically good, stop locking your doors. And I would tell you, that's not a Christian position. The Christian position is not, hey, just lock, don't lock your doors. The Christian position is exactly what the founders of our government said. We need a separation of powers because absolute power corrupts absolutely. And it's based, that understanding was based on Jeremiah 17, 9, that the heart is desperately wicked. If we have access to too much power or too much wealth or too much pleasure, it will destroy us. And that's why we have to have different branches of government so nobody gets too much power. I mean, this is a recognition of what the Bible says. It's the reason why we tell people to come to Christ for a brand new heart. You come to Christ, he gives you a brand new start. He forgives our sins and he transplants a new heart within us. He places his Holy Spirit inside of us to change us from the inside out. I mean, this is the good news. But in and of ourselves, we are far from God, and there's no way we're going to reach God of our own efforts. I mean, this is like the Grand Canyon a mile across. And so it's hard for us to hear when we say that we're born sinners and deserving of God's wrath that people would go to hell. But this is why we do missions. We don't have to teach people to sin. We have to teach people ethics. We have to teach people honor codes. There's always an honor code. Never a cheat code. That comes naturally. 
when my kids threw their first temper tantrum at the grocery store because they wanted cereal, I didn't teach them that. Now, kids, when we go to the grocery store, I want you to put your back into it. Okay, really lean back. That's the way to go. Never had to teach them that. You know what you got to teach them? You got to teach them not to do that. And it's not just American kids. It's Australian kids. It's Chinese kids. It's Indian kids. Doesn't make any difference. And so we stand condemned. But the good news is, is that there's freedom from this through Christ. And that brings us to point B. To reject the good news of Jesus is to reject God's only plan for rescuing us. In the middle of all this, you can draw a cross. Jesus is the bridge. He bridged the gap between holy God. God is holy. We are sinful. He bridged the gap. He became one of us and died and took all of God's wrath upon himself. If you wonder why it was necessary that Jesus was beaten and mocked and spit upon and crucified in such a horrendous, horrible way, all the wrath of God that was due John Schmidt was poured out on Jesus, and I am saved because he took my place. And so are you. And this is what it means to come to faith in Christ, to believe I am a sinner deserving of punishment. But Jesus took my place. Jesus talked about this, John 3.17. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There's no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment, and the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people who love the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. And all who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. I mean, all you and I have to do is look at the paper and there are wars breaking out. There are threats of wars all over the world. You read about horrible criminal cases, acts of terrorism, greed, graft, corruption, murder, rape, horrible things all the time. And yet there are people who will say, well, you know, basically the human race is getting better. And it's not true. The transformation of our souls requires a transplant, an exchange of my sinful, wicked heart for the heart of God placed inside of me. And I get that by coming to Christ and asking him to take my wicked life, to clean me up, and to fill me with his spirit to surrender control of my life to him. He not only forgives my sin, he transforms me and gives me the power to live life as he's always wanted me to live, a better life than I ever dreamed of. That's why we come to Christ. That's why we want to share the good news with the whole world. Every single one of us is dealing with this. Every single one of us needs this bridge. We'll never make it there on our own. Point three. Hell is a place of eternal separation from God and endless anguish. When Jesus talked about hell, Jesus was the one who talked about it being a place of eternal fire, a fiery lake of burning sulfur. Here's Jesus talking about hell again in a parable where he was explaining uh, the destiny of people who rejected God versus those who uh, honored him. Jesus said there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen, who lived each day in luxury. 
And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. The rich man also died and was buried, and his soul went to the place of the dead. There in torment he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted, and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted, and you are in anguish. And besides, there's a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here. No one can cross over from us to us from there. And then the rich man said, Please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home. For I have five brothers. I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. And the rich man replied, No, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent from the dead, then they'll repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, If they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't listen even if someone rises from the dead. And Jesus said this before he rose from the dead. I want us to note a couple of things here. This is Jesus speaking on this. By the way, when people tell you, well, all I know is Jesus never talked about hell, then they've never read the New Testament. Of all the people who wrote about hell, who spoke about hell in the New Testament, Jesus said much more than anyone else. Jesus. Jesus. Never believe that, that Jesus didn't speak about hell. All of this was Jesus. The first two quotes at the top there are the quote from Matthew 25, 41 from Jesus. Here's Jesus in Matthew 13. At the end of the world, the angels will come and separate the wicked people from the righteous, throwing the wicked into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And gnashing of teeth, the best way to interpret the word that's translated as gnashing, is the pain you feel if you've touched a hot iron or you've shoved a splinter into your finger and you go, <sighs> you grit your teeth and you can't, and you clench it because it hurts so bad. And if you stayed like that forever. At the end of the world, the angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous, throwing the wicked in the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Another reference by Jesus, Mark 9, if your eye causes you to sin, then gouge it out. It's better to enter the kingdom of God with only one eye than have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the maggots never die and the fire never goes out. Jesus said hell is such a horrible place that if your right eye caused you to sin, you can control it. It would be better to physically gouge out your eye than to end up in hell. Do whatever you have to do, but don't go there. And if you're wondering about the fire never dying and maggots, where does he get all that imagery? Well, the word that's translated hell in the New Testament is the word Gehenna. It's the name for a, a valley outside of Jerusalem, not far from Jerusalem, where they burned trash, and at one time... The wicked kings of Israel had sacrificed uh, children to the pagan god Molech. In order to be victorious in battle, he was the god of war. They would take their firstborn. In order to ensure victory in battle, they would take their firstborn as a baby and they'd heat this oven up with a giant mouth on it. It was a big furnace and they'd pitch their baby in there alive. And if you sacrificed your baby alive, then the god Molech would give you victory in, in battle and the Lord was horrified by that. He said, never, a thought like that had never even entered his head that people would be that wicked. So every time people heard Gehenna, they thought of Beth Hinnom, a place where it was a garbage dump and stank of rancid 
horrible, rotting things. There was a place also of the history of babies screaming, being burned alive. Horror. Burning. Rot. Night and day. This is why we warn people of eternal judgment. This is part of the fear of the Lord. This is fear of God's wrath. And again, that's not popular to talk about. But our hearts are wicked and sinful. This is why we come to Christ. We all need Jesus. People all over the world need Jesus. Not just North Americans. This isn't just true if you grew up in Alabama. There's a note here, after we die, our eternal destiny is set. set. It will be too late then to repent or warn others. I hope you notice that the rich man, in agony in the flames there, was fully conscious. He was not arguing with Abraham that he didn't belong there. But it's also curious to me that all of a sudden now he became strangely interested in missions. No, Abraham! Send Lazarus back! Tell him to tell my brothers! He had years, decades of life, and all the resources apparently to tell many people did nothing. Hebrews 9.27 says each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment. If we die unrepentant, we die in our sin. There's on this side, apart from Christ, without a right relationship with God, there is death, eternal separation, Hell. And it is not a kindness to not warn people. Uh, This past year I had a spot, a a basal cell. It's a type of skin cancer. Early stages of it are the most treatable kind of it. It was on my arm here. There was a spot and a surgeon, I had to go see a plastic surgeon and they cut a square out of it and they cut a big square around it to... Make sure they had margins to get all the cancer. That's the way you treat it. And I said, man, do you need to cut such a big spot? And he goes, well, John, it's cancer. You want me to leave it in there? I went, take all you need. It would not be a kindness for the doctor to say, hey, this is going to hurt, and I know it's going to upset you, so I'll just leave it alone. Get rid of it. But we don't think of sin this way. We make light of sin. Do you think Jesus died on the cross for no purpose? Do you think he endured all the wrath of God being poured out on him because he had nothing else to do? He did it because he loves you and he loves me and he loves your sister and your brother and your son and your daughter and your mom and your dad and your neighbors and the people in India and the people in China and the people in Pakistan and Canada and Mexico. This is why missions are important. The rich man would say, spend whatever you have. Go warn them while you still have a chance. It's too late after we die. This is why we come to Christ. 
And that brings us to point four. God does not want people to go to hell. This is a place created for the devil and his angels. People will go to hell because we join the devil and his angels in the rebellion. That's what Adam did when the devil tempted him. Adam and Eve joined in. Eating the fruit would make them so wise. God's holding out on them. That was the temptation. Join me. You don't have to listen to that. And that's what sin is. It's rebellion. When God says, thou shalt not, we say, oh, yes, I will. Or God says, this is what I want you to do. No, that's not for me. And we all have that bent. Listen to what the Old Testament and the New Testament say about this. Ezekiel 33, 11, As surely as I live, says the Sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of wicked people. I only want them to turn from their wicked ways so they can live. This is why we tell people about Christ. This is why we ask people to repent, to come to him. Peter, 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. In the context that it's a, his promise to return. As some understand his slowness, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He's giving more time. Oh, my goodness. I was at a funeral not that long ago, and a woman came up afterward, and she goes, please pray with me. Please pray with me. And I go, why? And she goes, my sister died. She was in her 60s, and she said, I never talked to her about Jesus. How could I live with her for over 60 years and never talk to her about Jesus? And she was weeping bitter tears. She goes, I have no idea where she stood. Well, we need to pray for our other friends and the rest of your family. Do you know a person who's far from God Never stop praying for them. Are you far from God yourself? Have you failed to come to Christ? Come to Christ today. That's point A. Good news. God sent Jesus to save the whole world. He did build the bridge. Christ died so we could live. He was punished so we could go free. Please hear the good news. God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's John 3.16. Paul said in Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He built the bridge from his side. Since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Friends, on this side of the bridge, there is holiness and there is life, abundant life, eternal life, and eternal togetherness with God and his people. There is heaven. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We've crossed over from death to life. And that brings us to point B. Jesus is sending us to proclaim this good news to the whole world. If you want to know why we started Centerpoint, this is why. 
give an opportunity for more and more people to play. Well, the reason why we've been working so hard to figure out how to start up multiple locations is we want people to tell people about Jesus here. We want people to tell Jesus about there. We want people to tell Jesus, tell people about Jesus everywhere. I guess it's like Dr. Zeus, here, there, and everywhere. That's why. But the whole thing is the people at these locations, we're not, just, we're not asking people to go there and then wait for us to go tell people. This is a burden for each one of us. I hope you understand here today that the understanding of telling people to repent, this can't be left up to just John Schmidt and a handful of staff people or a few of our elders. The Great Commission is a responsibility for each one of us. The best person to be praying for your mom is you. The best person to be praying for my friends is me. The people to be praying for and reaching out to our coworkers and neighbors are the people who live and work with the coworkers and neighbors. That's each one of us. And if you want strategies on how to do that, please get online and watch the message from last week. We talked about all this. We unpacked all this. John 20, 21. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And by the way, that should be in Alabama, you there. This should be y'all. It's plural. Could we read that out loud and put y'all in there at the end, please? As the Father has sent me, so I am sending y'all. That's what it means. He's talking to his disciples, telling them to make disciples. God was in Christ, Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. 2 Corinthians 5. If you're wondering how we do this the same way the disciples did, by calling upon the Lord to help us, to give us the right words, to give us the power, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. That's how they did it. They asked God, well, then give me the words to say. But they didn't blow it off. And they didn't make light of people who are far from God, they prayed day and night for the people who are far from God. And they said, God, give us a chance. God, give us the words. They even prayed for the people who rejected them and persecuted them, put them in jail, and beat them to death. My goodness. And so today, I'd like for us to have a time of prayer here. I want to pray for a couple of things. First of all, if you have not made a decision for Christ and you've never said in your life, Hey, there's a time when I surrender control of my life to God. I confess my sin and I ask Jesus to come into my heart to forgive me and change me from the inside out. Today is that day. And God's making his appeal right now. Come to Jesus. If you're watching on video right now, come to Jesus today. But secondly, God is making his appeal through us. And if we've grown cavalier about hell, or we believe the default position for people is no matter how they live, no matter how far they were from God, oh, God's just going to bring everybody in anyway. That's not what the Bible teaches. And we need to pray that God would light a fire in our hearts and remind us to pray so we would not be so casual about this. I've been praying all week that God would pour out a deep conviction on our hearts to not be lazy 
Because the devil wins a victory if he convinces the Christians not to care. Will you pray with me? Lord God, when we study what the Bible has to say, hell is a horrible place of eternal damnation, a place of eternal punishment, a place where the fire doesn't go out and the worm never dies. It's a place of torment and anguish and the deepest and most bitter regret. And Father, I don't want us to be like the rich man who lives our, lived his life in splendor and didn't care about the things of God and didn't care about the poor and didn't care about the needs of others. He only took care of himself. And when he died, he went straight to punishment. And then he cared, but it was too late. God, I pray that you would wake us up today. Lord, you'd remind us to set our alarm clocks early and to pray each day before the day begins, that we make a list of people that we're praying for, friends and relatives and neighbors, a few of them, and we pray for them every day. We pray for the right words to say. Father, give us a hunger for your word. Give us a conviction of the truth in your word. And Father, I pray if anyone here is in the sound of my voice, is far from you, has not made their peace with you, has never surrendered their life to you, they would do so today and not delay. None of us know how long we have in this world. Oh, Jesus, we come before you and we ask that you would do business in our hearts today. We would never take your salvation for granted. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. Thank you for taking the wrath that was due each one of us. Thank you for making a bridge so I can be right with God forever. We pray these things in the name of Christ, the strong name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.